You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 85, Spider-Man Returns to the MCU. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 85 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Hello, Brian. Well, today we have a couple new trailers. We got some movie news, an internet battle which took place, which I'll talk about for a little bit, and uh, we're going to talk about the streaming wars, specifically uh, some casualties in the streaming <laughs> wars. Uh, unfortunately, this one was more a little more personal. Something killed my entire weekend, and we're definitely going to talk about that. But first off, let's talk about Spider-Man. Oh, that's the biggest. Yes. The, that's the absolute biggest news. You yeah, know. Spider-Man is back in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Just the, the geek world, you know, exploded with happiness. Yeah. You know, there was tinker tape. Yeah, there Spider-Man's was. back, uh, mm-hmm. kind of, sort of. <laughs> uh, so, so basically, of course, we've been talking about for the last few weeks about Spider-Man and, well, Marvel and Sony and the back and forth, and they basically left the table. But uh, they came back and negotiated, and so what we have is they have agreed to do two more films. So we will get a Spider-Man 3 from Sony, which is supposed to come out July of 2021. Okay. And Spider-Man is going to appear in a um, in an unnamed Marvel movie in the Marvel right. Cinematic Universe, and then and then that'll be it. So now the cut is basically Marvel's going to get twenty five percent of the Spider-Man three profits, but they are going to be responsible for twenty five percent of the production cost. Now they were wanting to do a fifty fifty split, but uh, they've decided uh, between Marvel and Sony they're going to do a twenty five seventy five. Well, so. you know, Marvel really doesn't need the money. They do need Spider-Man, yeah. I think. It wouldn't kill it, but Spider-Man, everyone just, the fans really want Spider-Man. And they don't want to lose him. You know, he's such, you know, the heart of the of everyone is the future of, you know, the Avengers. Or that's, you know, what everyone feels like. And he's really needed, you know for them they need him more than they need the profits so i think so now of course they're only really going to have two more films and then uh, and i think those films are going to be basically wrapping up spider-man and after that of course he's going to go off to sony and he's going to be appearing in a lot of the sony spider-verse things but we're going to get a better wrap-up than just basically a clean you know break that we were that we were going to get stuck with or at least, uh, at least that's what it looks like on the surface. I mean, to be honest, besides, you know, like I said, the the the, the profit cut, and we know there's going to be two films. The rest of it, they're not really saying a whole lot about, and I think a lot of that has to do with they want to be a little more secret about the contracts and mm-hmm. and and the deal that when they've it comes made. Like Venom and what Morbius. Well, what Venom and Morbius. Yeah, they Venom and Morbius, but I think mm-hmm. mostly. As far as will Spider-Man appear in the cinematic uni- Marvel Cinematic Universe again, we don't know. Is there anything uh, past that? You know, there's no telling. Like I said, Marvel, neither Marvel nor Sony's really saying a whole lot in that aspect, which is a stark contrast to the first contract that Marvel and Sony 
came up with. And, that, of course, that had a lot to do with WikiLeaks because, <laughs> well, you know, the whole thing with Sony and the leaked emails and the fact that they were going back and forth saying, we don't know what we're going to do with Spider-Man. And so and come Mar- on, WikiLeaks, you were just supposed to be about government whistleblowers. Just leave leave the movies alone. <laughs> yeah. No, WikiLeaks is about everything. So <laughs> so that, that was basically uh, that didn't give Sony a whole lot of bargaining room because, you know, what can you do? It's like we just they just revealed we were sending emails back and forth saying we don't know what to do with Spider-Man. And Marvel's like, oh, we know we know what to do with Spider-Man. Don't worry. But I mean, there's a lot of rumors about deals that uh, Marvel might be able to use Miles Morales, that version of Spider-Man in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that uh, Spider-Man is, of course, going to be appearing in Venom and and other Sony Spider-Verse movies. The quote that Kevin Feige said, um, and I'll go ahead and read that, uh, Spider-Man is a powerful icon and hero whose story crosses all ages and audiences around the globe. He also happens to be the only hero with the superpower to cross cinematic universes. So, as Sony continues to develop their own Spideyverse, you never know what surprises the future might hold. So that, uh, you know, they're hinting some things. So whether Spider-Man is, is going to continue in the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or not after these two films, as of right now, we don't know. Uh, one thing that, um, that I saw, uh, I've been seeing in, in different places online that I thought was interesting was... One of the people they gave the main credit for getting Sony and Marvel back to the table was Tom Holland. Yeah. Yeah. He said that... uh, (laughs) I'm not surprised about that. (laughs) Yeah. That he he made uh, multiple appeals to Disney chairman and CEO Bob Iger and Sony film chairman uh, Tom Rothman. That he was going back and forth and and kind of building that bridge out of webbing, most likely. (laughs) And uh, that he was able to... He helped broker that. And I think, well, you know... Tom Holland, you know, a hero in real life also. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, now, something that I've, and I'm going to I'm gonna lay this, uh, I'm call this major speculation. I mean, I, there's a lot of people going around saying this, like the, this is the gospel truth, but I, I look at this as pure speculation. But uh, there's been a lot of talk about Captain Marvel, that Marvel and Disney are not as happy with Captain Marvel as they could be, and that part of what their plan would be, was was to allow you know Spider Man to kind of help bring that character along and make make Captain Marvel more popular, hmm. and that when okay. Spider Man was leaving suddenly that you know those plans weren't going to be they weren't going to be able to do that, and that they were kind of looking at maybe kind of pushing Captain Marvel off to the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like again. I'm saying completely pure speculation. They should uh, team her up with Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll go over like a lead balloon. <laughs> I, she will. Uh, yeah, she will punch Deadpool halfway across the the, the galaxy in about Which ten minutes. Which we all want to see. <laughs> yeah, because he wouldn't die. <laughs> He'd still live after all of that. But uh, yeah, he'd get you know shot across the galaxy, and then we get to see you know what's going on in Shiar. So <laughs> no. So I mean, what? If there is some plan with Spider-Man and Captain Marvel, and uh, now it can it could go forward. Like I said, it's again to me it sounds it, it sounds we'll very have to wait suspicious till, till Phase Five to really hear anything. Right. You know? Well, I mean, we're not gonna we're not even gonna see the next Spider-Man movie until 2021, mm-hmm. which sounds. <laughs> I'm sorry, 2021 sounds like a million miles away. You know, doesn't it? <laughs> it just seems like oh my god, that's like 
2021, I mean, that's that's like in the future, future. It's just a couple of years away. Mm-hmm. I, I feel so old. <laughs> that's kind of... As of right now, Spider-Man is back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and of course, we're eager to see what uh, what we get from the wall crawler next. So, there was some trailers that came out. Mm-hmm. I saw a trailer for uh, BBC's uh, television series for War of the Worlds. See, I didn't even know that was in like production or you know even happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know it either until I saw the trailer. But man, does it look good! Really? Okay. It, well, this is not like uh, uh, the Tom Cruise movie where they modernized it. Mm-hmm. This is pulled directly. It looks like it's a direct translation from the from the book where it's the same time period it's played yeah played off the, uh, it you know more authentically with what happened in the book it looks pretty good especially the uh, the tripods mm-hmm. you know and uh war of the worlds i as a writer i find that a really fascinating story because it is the one time where plot really does trump character because mm-hmm. The story kind of happens around the people in the story. There, yeah. There's nobody who, who really comes up with a solution. A, a solu- uh, there's a literal deus ex machina solution. You right. know. I, uh, I haven't read the book. Of course, I have listened to the Orson Welles right. radio program because that was, you know, big, huge. I actually listened to it on a record. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at school, in high school, they had a copy of it and we put it on and listened to it. And listening to it, it felt almost last man in the world, last man survive surviving. That's what it kind right. of felt like listening yeah, yeah. to it. So I would like to to listen to it and or you know to read it and see exactly if it has that same feel if it's all from his perspective and right. I would like to see what BBC does with it. They oh, yeah. they do well with you know. Well, I mean, and you've said it many times on this podcast. BBC when they do a period drama, mm-hmm. they're amazing. Yes. And this is definitely what we're looking at. And period sci-fi. And it's like, you know, the Doctor Who episodes. Right, They do their period episodes of Doctor Who. They're awesome. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I'm looking looking forward to seeing what they do with this. I I can't wait for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, Now, I know you did see the Birds of Prey trailer. Yeah. So what did you think? I was surprised that, you know, Harley Quinn is just such a... Because I I still look at her as uh, Gotham City Sirens. Right. I don't think of her as Bird of Prey. You know, I think of Huntress. I think of Cassandra and Helena and stuff. So seeing her, you know, take on this this kind of lead role. And I kind of feel like that's sort of a... in, In the past few years, it's sort of been this kind of fans pushing her to have a better... A better story than to mm-hmm. just be the Joker's punching bag. Right. And, you know, but she's always been a fan-driven character. Right. From the first moment she was came onto the animated series, the fans loved her so much that they put her in the comic books. And the fans loved her so much, you know, that they gave her better storylines. And now she's always been this kind of fan-driven female power character, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. And so the fans said, you know what, en- enough of her... Being this, being just a, a victim of violence for the man she loves, let's give her something different. So, it was it was a lot of her that which I'm happy about, but uh, I I had a hard time seeing a lot of uh, the other characters coming around. I'm not sure who is who. That 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 was my thing. You know, is Huntress there? Is you know, is Oracle there? And 
uh, I didn't see it, you know, anyone in a, in a wheelchair. So I don't know, are they going for that? So that's my, that's my thing is, uh, I really, I really like it. I'm looking forward to it, but I, it was so much like, this is Harley Quinn's movie. Oh, and yeah. that's, that's what I felt like. This is Harley Quinn's movie. And I, I don't really know a whole lot about the birds of prey. Like I, I kind of wish that they had done Gotham city sirens. Then I would have been like, this is Harley Quinn and poison Ivy and Catwoman, And I would have, I would have enjoyed that too. So I, I want to know what the other characters are doing. What, who's the, who's the quote unquote villain since we're going anti-hero with this. That's what I want to see. Oh yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you can definitely tell from the, from the trailer, they're playing this off. If this is the Harley Quinn show. Yeah. I mean, I guess they know where, which side their bread's buttered for mm-hmm. certain, <laughs> but I am curious as like you about how much the other characters are going to play into the story. They're definitely playing off the, uh, you know that hey, uh, Harley Quinn's in it. Mm-hmm. Just in case you're wondering. Oh, and look, there's some more Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. And- she's narrating. She's the lead. She's yeah. going through this transformation, which is awesome, and we love that. And we, I want to see that for Harley. But again, I see that with Gotham City Sirens. I don't know what that's going to play like with Birds of Prey. Yeah, it's really going to depend. Like mm-hmm. I said, whether a Harley Quinn is going to play as much a role in the movie as she's been playing in the. Um, you know, in the trailer, I guess we'll have to wait and see mm-hmm. there. But uh, yeah, they've been promoting the heck out of that. Um, Got to give a little bit of movie news. And this is something I'm really, really excited about being a horror fan. Jordan Peele just landed a new huge deal with Universal. So basically, of course, he he did us and get out through Universal. Right. And so they have a first look deal with him. So it's it's a it's a 5 uh, year deal. I don't know how much money it is, nobody said, but mm-hmm. I have a feeling it's a lot cuz they made a lot of money off his last two films. Mm-hmm. So it's a 5 year deal with Jordan Peele and Monkey Paw Productions, which is his production company. Mm-hmm. So basically they have already agreed to to um develop his next two films, which he's going to write and direct and produce both mm-hmm. of these features and then he and Monkey Paw are going to be still going to be able to produce original films by by other filmmakers. So, not only is he going to be able to put out his own stuff, but he's going to be able to go out and get other people, you know, and help produce films for them and and bring them in. And so, See, I keep hearing you know rumors about Candyman. Yes, you know work, him working with Clive Barker, which I think would be amazing. But it, again, I think it's just rumors. That would be a really cool. Oh, well, I think it's more than rumors because I've seen it more than one place, and I mean he's definitely he's definitely been interested in it. So, so I think uh, I mean that that may be the next thing we see from him. That that's exciting. But mm-hmm. now, now I don't know if that I th- I don't know if he's planning on writing and directing it, or if he's just or if this is just something he's wanting to produce. But of course, he will have that ability to do that through Universal. They have, uh, yeah. I mean, he's made so much money for Universal, these last two films. And part of it, of course, being the fact that horror movies, you can get away with uh, not having huge budgets. And horror movies, Hollywood will allow you to make a a smaller budget. But the fact is, even with uh, these smaller budgets, you know, Jordan Peele's just such a a great writer-director that he brings, you know, it's like every dollar winds up on the screen. And I mean, uh, and, and more. Because his stories are so are so good and they're different, mm-hmm. you know. They're and the fact is they're and I would I would say that Jordan Peele is uh, a large part of this, but we're getting a resurgence, you know, a new golden age of horror uh, horror movies. 
Now, I'd like to see that translate, you know, in the, in the books and, and other mediums as well. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we're seeing a lot of really good horror out there, I mean, this is, I mean, Universal, they have to know that uh, Jordan Peele is a gold mine. And mm-hmm. so this. Well, I mean, when you, when you think of horror, you kind of automatically go to the Universal monsters. Um, so yeah. Universal, I guess, has to, in my head, you know, a millennial that I am seems to be the a big pioneer of horror and right. the gothic genre. Yeah, and but on the other side of it, of course, they tried to start a Universal Monsters cinematic universe, and they got one film, mm-hmm. and it didn't do so well. Mm-hmm. Even with the fact that it had Tom Cruise in it, and even with Tom Cruise in it, didn't do so well. Yeah, I didn't see it, um, so I don't know what mistakes you, were you made. Didn't miss much. <laughs> I didn't think I did. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what mistakes were made there. I don't doubt that this is something that could be done. You know, we don't have to go with the the classics. We don't have to go with The Mummy. We don't have to go with Frankenstein. I mean, there's so much, you know, Mary Shelley and Bram Stoker, they're great. uh, But, well, gosh, the big Netflix, you know, has taken Shirley Jackson in the past few years. And, you know, just made brilliant, you know, House uh, Haunting of Hill House. We have always lived in the castle, you know. There, there are other authors out there that you can take and do, and you can do the originals. And, you know, before us, you know, were red jumpsuits that scary? Yeah. <laughs> he, he made this, he made icons out of red jumpsuits. Right. And, well, you know, the thing about it is when you have somebody with the talent of a Jordan Peele, you can make new classics. Mm-hmm. You don't have to depend on the old films. And, and that's, that's one positive with horror where you don't have this in a lot of other genre films, is that they are more willing, I think, in Hollywood to take a chance on a property that's not as well known. I mean, in horror films, I mean, you I mean, you think of uh, uh, Jordan Peele, and then in the past, you know, like Don Coscaretti or, you know, John Carpenter. Argento. Yeah, exactly. I mean, directors can carry a film. They are the cachet. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Peele, I I feel is is in that is now in that level where I mean he's proved himself as as a director, and you can put Jordan directed by Jordan Peele or even produced by Jordan Peele on a movie poster, and people will be excited to come out and see it. And mm-hmm. so Universal, this is a good get for them, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to see. Oh, what's Wes next. Craven. Even, West, oh yeah, yeah. Even when they're bad movies. <laughs> even when they're bad movies, exactly. So. The fact that you you know you have that cachet, it's going to be it's going to be amazing, and so Universal is going to be the place to watch. I think when uh, horror something happened online, and I I this might not be I don't think this is anything you followed. I, I wanted to comment on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, coming out soon in a in a road show, and I think we talked about this before, but also Fathom, Kevin Smith is going to be doing his uh, uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot film. Jane Silent Bob reboot, which mm-hmm. is yeah. uh, which is a parody basically of one Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, as well as a parody of how everybody's rebooting their films. Right. And so he's mm-hmm. basically rebooting his film. Yeah, and he, he called in every single favor he ever knows because yes. everyone's in this movie. <laughs> right. And so he's been wanting to to promote this film, obviously. And so there's an internet, uh, a YouTube show called Hot Ones. Are you familiar with this? I am not. Oh, I'm about to correct you on this okay. because you need to you need to definitely watch this. This is an interview show done by Sean Evans, 
and it's called Hot Ones because it's on the uh, it's on a, a YouTube channel called First We Feast. Okay, so it's like it's a food based channel. Now the question is, how does interviews weigh into this? Well, Sean Evans will interview uh, musicians, athletes, celebrities, but they're sitting at a table across from each other, and he asks really good questions. I have to say, he, he's one of the best interviewers I think out mm. there. Mm-hmm. But while they're at, he's asking questions, there are, in front of both of them, 10 chicken wings. And these chicken wings, in, as you go along, increase in heat level. Oh, from, okay. From sort of Tabasco level to, oh, my God, you're doing this as a dare. Uh, Carolina Reaper. Oh, All Carolina right. Reaper's not even at the far end. <laughs> That's like like third or fourth from the end. <laughs> And so uh, this show over, I, I, I watch every season of it. I, some amazing interviews. I love the, I'm a huge fan of the show, obviously. And uh, like I said, uh, between the combination of Sean Evans being really well-researched, I mean, he spends a so lot of- So is it one question, one wing? Yeah. And then you have to stop when you can't go on? Well, he'll continue that. Basically, what happens is if uh, they if they clear the board, and most of them do, even though huh. they, they suffer yeah. <laughs> pretty badly, they get to do a plug at the end. Now, there have been people who've chickened out. Mm-hmm. First one, I think, was uh, DJ Khaled. And, of course, there is a wall of shame, but there's not that many people on it. They tend to press <laughs> through, even though it's miserable. Uh-huh. But uh, This is man uh, versus food. Yeah. But because of the combination of the fact that Sean Evans does a world of research and asks really good questions, but also the fact that as you get farther along the board and you're just basically getting smoked out by these wings, uh-huh. y- you tend to drop your, your, your typical pretenses. And so celebrities basically answer questions they probably wouldn't have answered otherwise, <laughs> but they're just, their heads are, are on fire uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know... They tend to be a little bit more honest because it's 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 basically a, a hot pepper a truth serum, basically. Yeah. So the question is, like I said, it's a really great show. It's become extremely popular to the point of the uh, that uh, it's being copied a lot now. That is the problem with coming up with a great concept is that other people are going to just jump on it. But uh, like I said, a lot of great interviews, and so it makes sense that Kevin Smith w- uh, would want to get him and Jay on the show. Makes perfect sense, and I think it would it would be an amazing interview. The thing about it is, of course, they do these in seasons, and they also travel. The way that they have their set, uh, it's just like a simple black backdrop, which allows them to pack up and go pretty much anywhere that they need to go. Especially with the with the level of talent that they that they're starting to deal with now, they they kind of have to be able to pack up and move wherever, because they can't expect you know celebrities to basically meet them wherever they are. And so there's a lot of travel involved, a lot of prep that's involved and all that stuff. And so they that's why they break this down into seasons. And so they plot out a season and then, you know, they make the arrangements for everybody. They go where they need to go and, and all that stuff. And before I start talking about this, let me go ahead and preface this by saying I don't know any more about what's going on behind the scenes than anybody else. I just know what's been posted online, what people have said back and forth and any speculation that I'm making about anything that's going on is that, in fa- it, that is speculation now. Uh, but what it appears is that, like I said, Kevin Smith wanted to, to do the Hot Ones interview, but it looks like he talked, to, he asked them about it a week ago, a week or two ago. And what happened was, 
or at least, uh, like I said, uh, from what I've been able to determine is they passed on the interview. The hot ones did. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess Kevin Smith wasn't all happy about that. So what happened was Kevin Smith posted a video on his channel called Not Ones that was a basically uh, he interviewing uh, Jason and they did this hot wings and everything else. And, you know, they did the, bl- the black backdrop and all of it. And I mean, they didn't say anything necessarily bad about the hot ones, about hot ones or Sean Evans. They didn't really bring that up, although all the logos were very similar, so it was obvious that they were doing a mock-up of the show. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, he uh, Kevin also got online saying that he got a he got a message for them saying basically not interested, and they didn't want him on the show. And but he also said a little bit later on, and he said this in the comments for the the not ones video. He said, "Guys, hey, don't don't go attacking Sean Evans or anything like that, right?" And Sean Evans did do an Instagram where he said, "Look, guys, let me explain what happened. It's like." You know, we plan this stuff out months in advance. We can't just drop what we're doing, you know, and just go across, you know, fly across the country because somebody wants to do an interview. Now, we want to do an interview with Kevin Smith and down the road, we'd love to, you know, and and he also mentioned the hot, the hot ones parody video. He said it was funny. You know, he said it was a funny video. He said, you know, but uh, this thing about how we didn't want to do an interview with him, that's not exactly true. And then, of course, Kevin Smith answered back saying, hey, I got the, I did get the email, but again, it's not like I'm attacking you. So I saw all that, and from this point on, this is going to be my opinion and, and speculation, okay? So Sean Evans, I think, is a lot madder about this than, than he let on, obviously. He was trying to be nice about all of this, but I think it, the video did tick him off. But at the same time, I think Kevin Smith did this on purpose to tick him off because, like I said, a lot of people and he's been public about this. So this, it's not like this has been a secret, but a bunch of people have been have been ripping him off and doing other. And as a matter of fact, it was just like a day before a day before this whole thing started popping is that he was having issues with MTV because they they were doing uh, a, a segment on MTV called Wild Sauce. It wasn't even just a matter that they were eating chicken wings, increasingly hot chicken wings. They were doing it sitting at a table like uh, a, a raised table like he does in front of a black backdrop like he does. It, it was an obvious, complete copy of, of what he was doing, you know, and he's had to deal with a lot of that. I mean, he, he he's basically created this genre of interview and now he's, he's, he's getting ripped off. And mm-hmm. I mean, he's been dealing with that a lot and to basically do a complete rip off of his show again, even though it's like a parody. If I know that this is something that's ticking him off and then I do the exact thing that he just, uh, again, that he just online was upset about and obviously upset about. And then to, to turn around and do that, but call it a parody. It's, I'm not saying Kevin did that on purpose, but it's understandable for, for Sean Evans to be uh, upset about it. Now, now he was, again, he was being, about as cool as I figure he could be online about it. If I were going to take a shot at Sean Evans, you know what I'd do? I'd copy his show. Mm. That's exactly what I would do. I'm not saying that Kevin Smith did that on purpose. And I'm also not saying that Kevin Smith was deliberately encouraging people to go after Sean Evans. Now, he did say, don't do this. Now, other people have said that uh, online 
And what they're doing is they're actually saying, oh, yeah, go after him. I'm just setting this up to say, hey, I, this is not my fault. I didn't start this. I'm telling people not to do it. If they do it anyway, that's not on me. I'm not saying that that was what was going through Kevin Smith's mind, okay, because I don't know that. But online, that's kind of the effect that you wind up having. So I think under the circumstances, and again, I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith, but I mean, this hasn't been the first time he's run into an issue with interviews. He Years ago, I remember him being on the Joe Behar, Joy Behar, and she had a talk show, and him complaining about Howard Stern because he couldn't get an interview with Howard Stern at a certain time. So this is in new uh, territory, I think, for Kevin Smith. And I think, honestly, if you, w- although it's a, it was a great idea for, to do the Hot Ones interview, if you're going to do that, you needed to get, you know, you can't talk to them weeks before. You got to talk to them months before. It's just, pre- you know, whenever you're doing any kind of promotions for anything, I mean, you got to plan that stuff out months in advance. And I think, honestly, I don't think Sean would have had any issue with interviewing him if they had had time to get all this set up. Like I said, this is not just, hey, let's put out some wings and talk. I mean, he does a lot of research. He does a lot of deep dives on care, uh, on on the people that he interviews. So this takes time to do. I mean, they spend a lot of time just doing the research for the questions so that they ask good questions. And so, like I said, I'm not saying that, they're, that, that uh, he's necessarily the bad guy in the situation, but Kevin Smith's team, they should have they should have jumped on this a lot earlier than they did, obviously. All that being said, down the road, I hope that Kevin Smith and Sean Evans not only can get together and do an interview, but actually talk about this stuff face to face. I think just with that will make things a good interview. But uh, like I said, as of right now, I'm, I'm still interested in, of course, seeing the new movie and I, I'll see it when it comes out. I think in about a, another week or so, it's actually going to be out. But uh, it was kind of unfortunate. I think there was like a miscommunication on both sides. Not everything that's being said on both sides is like 100% factual. I think it's being couched for one reason or another. Once again, we have an internet fight. That's kind of how it works out. It's just, uh, you know, we have uh, bigger players in this situation. But uh, if anything else develops, of course, we'll talk about it. But I did want to mention also... Because we talked, uh, we've been talking about streaming services. There have been shots fired back and forth uh, in the streaming wars. There have been casualties, and unfortunately, we have a new casualty. This one was really personal for me. My weekend was completely wasted. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say wasted, but man, I, I, my weekend was gone. Uh-huh. Uh Because, I, and I think I told you this already, is I was planning on getting Shutter, and I now have Shutter. Ah, uh, yes. And my weekend just disappeared down uh-huh. the rabbit hole. And so uh, I did want to talk about that for a little bit and mm-hmm. to let you know what I think of, about the streaming service. I did see Creepshow. Now, we talked about, you know, the, the two different uh, modalities that, that streaming services use where they, they put everything out, you know, uh, on, when they do a show, they put everything out or they uh, do it week by week. Apparently, they're, they're going to do this one week by week because there's only one episode up right now. I think they decided to put it up early. But there's one episode... And there's an interview with Greg Nicotero, like a, a separate thing. But there were two episodes in the, the first, uh, or two uh, stories, stories. Mm-hmm. two stories in the episode. The first one. Because it's an anthology. Because it's anthology, exactly. And the first one was called Gray Matter, and uh, which was written by Stephen King. Really, uh, really kind of a wacky, weird story that ended, I think, a little bit abruptly. But uh, I, I enjoyed, and the uh, 
The second one was written by Josh Malloran, who uh, is known mostly for Bird Box. Oh, okay. And uh, he uh, he did a story with a dollhouse. Oh. Which, uh, very fascinating, uh, very creepy. I think it was actually creep, even creepier than the first one. Oh, that's a... Well, I think Tabitha King, uh, Stephen King's wife, uh, mm-hmm. does stuff with, with dollhouses in her work or something yeah. uh, that I can remember. So now, was is Grey Matter, is that in any of uh, Stephen King's uh, short story collections? Yeah. I'm is it? To, okay. Yeah, it's, it's or did based, he write just for the show? No, it, it was based off of one of his short stories. Okay. Yeah, The Dollhouse was an interesting story because it's about this little girl that has this huge Victorian dollhouse and she has characters. Uh, she has little dolls in them. And these dolls move around. She doesn't see them move. But they're, they're doing all these scenes like a, a small family trapped in this house. And there's this little, it looks like a zombie head that moves around the house and they're scared of this thing. Hmm. And she's trying to do everything she can to protect this family from whatever this thing is. Because it'll move and disappear. You know, and, you know, and so it's sort of like uh, it's, there's this story being told about what's going on. And in one part of the story, she actually goes to has her parents take her to the the dollhouse store, and she buys a a, a cop, a little cop doll, Aww. and puts it in there, mm-hmm. and you know to protect them. And uh, it doesn't turn out too well. It's like that the the, um, mm. the cop gets decapitated, and and there's a little bit of blood, and like it's like real blood. Oh wow! So yeah, so uh-huh. so. You know, she's trying to send things in there to protect to protect uh, this family, and they're getting killed. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this little dollhouse, this whatever this ghoul head appears and disappears, and uh, all kind. Like I said, it uh, it develops in like I said to the end uh, into a very interesting, ironic kind of a climax. But uh, yeah, it's uh, wow. pretty creepy. It's it it's it's very it's an understated but very creepy story so but i i really did enjoy it and uh i can't wait to see the the next episode and see where they where they take all of this but that wasn't the only thing that i watched uh, the one thing i did know about uh, as far as shutters I, I i suspected they might have a documentary or two but they've got a whole section on documentaries and i got lost <laughs> <laughs> that that tour uh, that took a lot of my time there was like a two-part four-hour documentary on the Hellraiser movies, the first two. There was oh, like wow, a yeah. two-hour documentary on the first Hellraiser mm-hmm. and about an hour and 45-minute documentary on the second Hellraiser movie. Mm. I and, should do that on just the effects alone. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, they covered they covered everything uh, in those films. Of course, I'm a, uh, Hellraiser is one of my favorite horror films. Of course, I have the puzzle box sitting on my shelf over here. The Lament Configuration. Right. And one of the things they talk about is all the hidden symbolism that's that's in that on that box. If you're willing to look at it, I mean, and some of it I know about. Others I'm going to have to look for now. But the engineer is on is one on one of the boxes, you know, on one of the sides. And uh, they said there's a person. Uh, they said that the entire story of the movie is actually on that box. If you if you know where to look for it, so that gives me something to look at. Another documentary they had that I checked out was called King Cohen, which is uh, the wild world of filmmaker Larry Cohen. He did all kinds of movies. He did black exploitation films. He did horror films. Oh, okay. And I, of course, I know of him from the movie It's Alive, the uh, the baby, uh, the killer baby movie. Uh, I remember this because, not that I saw the film as a kid, but when I was a kid, I, 
I wasn't the biggest fan of horror movies. Of course, this was back when they, uh, you know, on television when they would do special specialty trailers for movies. And uh, there was this trailer of the bassinet. It turns around, and then you see the you see the claw hand hanging out of the bassinet, and you hear the baby. You know, and I wasn't expecting that at all. And being how I was one very young, two not that m- much a, a fan of horror movies, and I was also sitting alone in the dark in my bedroom watching this. It messed me up pretty yeah. badly. Uh, what I learned from the documentary is that uh, when the movie was first released, it didn't do so well. It didn't get a whole lot of advertisement or anything, but it didn't do so well. And which is very rare in Hollywood, something uh, rare uh, for Hollywood for them to re-release a movie, but they did. Uh, He talked them into re-releasing it, but to put out, you know, TV trailers and all of that. So because he was willing to, uh, you know, to promote his film and was able to talk the, the, the studio into putting it back out and coming out with TV trailers... Had he not been able to do that, my childhood would have been a little bit brighter. But because he did that, <laughs> uh, I'm the twisted person that I am today. So, But uh, I found that documentary fascinating. Now, the one documentary I got to say that I loved more than any of them was Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. Now, I'd heard oh, about wow. I'd heard about this uh, before. Uh, I thought it was on Shudder, but I, I found this. And it, man, was this fascinating. There's a lot of stuff that I, I hadn't even really thought of until I, I until I saw this documentary. And I, there's a lot of there was a lot of great interviews in it. A lot of people that I names I was familiar with, you know, in horror. Of course, Jordan Peele has to be in there, obviously. And uh, a lot of the stuff he had to uh, uh, say about the about the genre, you know, about horror in general, and and how people of color you know, how they approach horror as either, you know, as a writer, a director, uh, as an audience member, I found fascinating. And and one thing that they, they talk about that I hadn't really thought about, I, now I'm familiar with the whole trope, and I'm sh- as I'm sure you are, of, you know, the black, the black guy dies first in right. the movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But I didn't know why that was a trope. And I found that fascinating. The reason why that's a trope is because... It's uh, to use a uh, an insider wrestling term. The black person, the black guy, is there to put the monster over. The reason why the black person is the one to die first is because the fact that the mo- that you know, if the monster can kill the black guy, the rest of those poor white folks ain't got a chance. Hmm. So it's basically the black the the strong black guy, the athletic black guy, uh, is basically putting over how strong the monster is. Mm. And I had never really thought of it that way before, but you know, again, it, uh, it makes sense. It definitely does. And but there was so many, like I said, there was so much good stuff in in this uh, in the documentary. And I mean, certainly if you're a fan of horror, but even as you know, especially as a writer, I mean, you definitely need to you need definitely need to check this out. I mean, I've always said, regardless of what you do, if you if you don't know all your history about what about your passion if you don't know all of your history you don't know your history uh i definitely have to uh, like i said this was probably my favorite of all the documentaries just because of just how much depth it went into one of my favorite movies is blackula and they mm-hmm. ta- uh, the director of blackula was on there and i learned something about the movie i didn't know he was uh he was talking about the fact that for a particular scene he wanted to get a slow motion camera 
slow motion cameras are more expensive because of the processes they have to go to to create slow motion. And the studio did not want to give him the camera. And of course, I'm sitting here, I know what scene they're talking about. I know for I know absolutely what scene they're talking about when he says he didn't need uh, for the slow motion camera because I saw that scene and it messed me up pretty badly. Uh, even uh, as I was, this was at the point where I was starting to watch horror movies and uh, I saw that scene and it was one of the, it's easily one of the top, for me, top five creepiest, most effective horror scenes in a movie for me. And that it never, it almost didn't happen because the, the studio didn't want to give him that camera to do that shot. Did they give him a camera or did he figure out some other way to do it? Literally the day of the shoot, they gave, the, the van rolled up and gave him the camera. I mean, he wouldn't, the thing about it is it's especially because we're dealing with uh, film at this point. So there's not a whole lot of workarounds and those cameras were expensive. They'd have to be high speed to make the film move. Exactly. Fast. I mean, so yeah, basically it's literally, it's filming at, you know, if you wanted to slow something down to half, you know, your average, your regular frame rate is 24 frames a second. Well, that's why the earliest films seem to be in fast motion. Because right. Because someone was hand cranking them. And they were cranking them very fast. Very, yeah, exactly. as fast as they could. Right. But still, you know, that makes them that makes them look faster when the film is slower. Right. So only when we could add motors could we actually make real-time right. uh, films, natural-looking. Yeah. Right. And so... To if you wanted to film if you wanted to film something uh, and uh, make it look you know uh, like half speed, you know twenty four frames a second is what is is the normal film speed. So you would have to have something that pulled forty eight frames a second, just to just to get something at half speed. And again, those cameras were expensive. And if the studio hadn't been willing to let him have one of those cameras, it wasn't it wasn't like he's going to be able to get out. You know. This wasn't the age of digital, you know, uh, and those, again, those cameras, because they have to pull the film a lot faster. Again, this was just at half speed. If you wanted to do something really slow, if you wanted to do something at fourth speed, you know, you do the math, you know, half speed's like 48. So that would be like 96 frames a second, you know, and you have to have a camera that's able to do that plus not to snag the film or whatever. So but fortunately, they were they uh, acquiesced and gave him the camera literally the day of the shoot. And so we, again, you know, it, it, I, I didn't realize that this one scene, uh, uh, yet another scene that messed me up as a kid, almost didn't even happen because of you know uh, the fact that this they, the studio didn't really think so much of this film. But there was a lot of great stuff in here. I mean, there were films I'd never heard of before that uh, I'm getting ready to watch now that uh, I had I had absolutely no idea that uh, even existed. So so I can definitely say that if you've not seen uh, Horror Noir, definitely check it out. But uh, yeah, Shudder uh, Shutter took my weekend, and I, I have a feeling there's some other weekends that are going to die at the hands of Shudder. <laughs> so, uh, but I've really enjoyed the channel so far, and uh, you know, as we see new stuff on there, definitely we'll talk about it. Before we go, this course is the weekend for Joker. We're definitely going to have to talk about that on the show. I heard about this online. I'm not a big, I don't watch a lot of late night television, but I, I did have to mention this really quickly. Joaquin Phoenix was on Jimmy Kimmel. I think it was like a day or two ago. And they were talking about Joker. 
And and Jimmy mentioned, and, and apparently Joaquin Phoenix didn't know this, but uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel mentioned that the director, uh, Todd Phillips, had sent a clip of the movie. Well, he said he sent a clip, and they played the clip, and it was basically a Joaquin in makeup on uh, on the set complaining about one of their uh, one of the techs at working on the movie. He was upset that this guy was whispering while they were trying to film. Hmm. He was talking about Larry. I think his name is Larry Shear. He was the uh, director of photography, mm-hmm. and he was just frustrated apparently and and upset that you know he's trying to act and while they're filming and he's trying to come up with something real and he can hear this guy whispering in the background while he's trying to act you know it wasn't i would say to the level of uh a complete blow up or whatever but you could tell he was being frustrated and the thing is after they show the video clip they cut back to to joaquin you know uh, sitting in the chair next to jimmy and he's he's kind of flustered by it. He wasn't expecting the clip, and he was apologetic. And he, he's you know he was apologetic to what he said about Larry. Uh, he explained about how frustrating acting can be, you know, and how you're trying to, you know, trying to stay in character. And he apologized to the audience. He goes about having to have seen that, et cetera, et cetera. I have a feeling that a lot of that was a put on, though, because of course he's known for doing sort of these promotions that are very uh, Andy Kaufman-like, shall we say. There was that one point where he did the interview where he was telling people that he was giving up being an actor to be a, to be a rapper. Of course, that was to promote a film. And so I think this might... I, I don't know if uh, this was a put-on or not, but it was really uncomfortable to watch. It's, de- it's out there on YouTube if you've not seen it. Uh, it was kind of screwy. But... Uh, I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about Joker. I mean, I keep hearing all this stuff about it. I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but a lot of what I've been hearing is that this is going to, this is a weird movie. <laughs> this, this is, they're saying taxi driver weird. And I'm like, uh, yeah. okay, I'm, I, I'm down. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I think Alamo draft house put out a, uh, they put out a poster saying, don't bring your kids to this. Uh, there's no Batman first of all, and it's very violent and it's messed up. And there's a lot of profanity, and so don't bring your kids to this thinking that they're gonna they're gonna see uh, they're gonna see a Batman movie because this is that this is not what's going on here. And of course, you know I know that just from you know what I've heard about the film, but uh, I don't know what I'm in for. And once we find out, of course, we'll talk about it on the podcast uh, probably next week. So stay tuned for that. And so with that said, we come to the end of episode 85 of the Geek Watch Podcast. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. From Andy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the GeekWatch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The GeekWatch podcast is a Hanging J production.